Good morning. Welcome home, Lord, everybody. <laughs> this, we are kicking off a new uh, sermon series for the summer called Not Just Another Story. We, we just spent 20 weeks uh, going through the first three chapters in Romans. We've been slowly working our way through Romans, but we're taking a break from that, and we're going to enter into this series called Not Just Another Story. That We want to take maybe passages that maybe those of us who maybe grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church might be familiar with some of these stories or heard these stories and just saying, yeah, what, what's, the, what's really happening here? Uh, not that we have all the answers, we don't, right? I'm not an expert on anything, but I know how to work the Google machine, and I'm able to get the answers, uh, just like you can. And so uh, we're going to be walking through some, some pretty popular stories, uh, maybe not so popular, but some of them are. And that's what we're going to be doing for 11 weeks, and then in the fall, we'll kick back off and kick, uh, right, start off right where we were in Romans, in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, in the fall. So, not just another story. Uh, this is a picture, an old picture, that's actually me, in case you couldn't tell, uh, of my, my mother and me um, back in college, and I was playing football for small D3, doesn't even count, but I played football, it was fun, and I, apparently the picture, I must have cropped it and got rid of the home score. It was probably six, because we didn't have a kicker, we could never kick an extra point. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be fourth and goal on the 26-yard line. We're like, guess we're going for it because we can't do anything else. Uh, it, was, it was not. We did not win one game uh, my senior year. That was a great, great time. Um, but I love football. That is my mom. I couldn't find a more recent picture on Facebook. I'm sure I could find one. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I just saw her last weekend. And I know we took a picture together, but I didn't take the picture, so I don't have it. My mom, though, uh, wonderful woman. I love my mom. Uh, she, you know, after my dad died when I was 14, she was a single, single mother. And, and, and our relationship changed uh, after that happened because she, she ceased being my, my mom and she became more of a friend. And, and I remember when I started dating Angela and she came and we hung out with her for the first time, she was like, man, you're kind of disrespectful to your mom. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah, you like make fun of her. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, it's my mom, you know, like, that's just things, things kind of shifted in my relationship with my mom. And, and there's this, there's this phrase of familiarity uh, breeds contempt. Ever heard that before that when you become too familiar with somebody or something that you kind of just like, ah, I don't, I don't know if I like this thing anymore. Um, and with my mom, I, I don't know what word or adjective to describe my opinion of my mom when I was younger, other than aloof, I think aloof might be the best word that might not offend. And, and if she listens to this, she would totally agree. Uh, she gets lost very easily. Uh, you know, back in the MapQuest days, she had a binder of, of all the things, right? Of where she was gonna go and she'd still get lost. Uh, I don't understand what North means. Like I know it's that little thing on your car, it tells you N is for North. And I remember as a small child, um, we were driving, I was little, I was like in a car seat. Uh, it was the 80s, I was probably not in a car seat. But we were, you know, you know what I mean? I was in the back seat. And I was like, mom, I think we're going the wrong way. And she goes, how do you know? And I was like, well, because before the sun wasn't in my eyes and now it is. And she was like, oh yeah, you're right. And she got off the highway and turned around, right? Uh, <laughs> that's my mom. Uh, another story that we tell, we, this one we tell quite often is that we were at a restaurant, don't remember the restaurant, with some church people after church and some friends. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if my sister asked a question, somebody asked a question, how do you know the difference between the Big Dipper 
and the Little Dipper. Like, how can you, how can you tell my mom? goes, well, it's easy. The Little Dipper is the little one, and the Big Dipper is the big one. And it's like, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that, that description. That helps a lot, Mom. <laughs> that wasn't what I was looking for. And that's my mom, right? And, and she still is that way. And some of you, if you remember during the pandemic, she would join and do trivia, and, and she, she took a couple classes online while we were doing it. You know her. She's, she's great. She's lovable. She's a lot of fun. And that was all my opinion of my mom was. It was my mom was aloof. She was kind of a ditz, just didn't understand the real world. I think how every high schooler probably thinks about their parents, right? And then I, I remember, though, one day I was either a senior in high school, maybe a freshman in college, 18 years old, and, I, and my mom worked for State Farm. I didn't know what she did for State Farm. I had no idea. And there's one day I would go to her work. I was meeting up with her for lunch or something. I must have been in college. I must have come home from college, and, and we were going to meet up for lunch. And I walk in, and there is this huge, huge auditorium, two, 3,000 people with tables and centerpieces and all the food and all this stuff, right? And I'm sitting in the back, like in the lobby, like listening in, and, and, I'm, and I'm watching everything that's happening. And, and I hear the, the CEO of, of State Farm, he goes... <laughs> and none of this would be possible without Darlene Silver. And I was like, what? What are you, not my mom, what are you talking about? And, 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 then, and then they bring her up on stage and she gets this award. And I'm like, my mind was blown, right? I was like, what? Who is this woman? I only know the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. I don't know successful businesswoman. I don't know that. Uh, I, I just never saw that in my mom. And, and that moment, that familiarity that breeds contempt, right, kind of a, a teenage angst towards, towards their parents, it, it just completely flipped. And, I, and all of a sudden, I respected my mom a lot, and I started going to her for advice. You know what I mean? Like, Mom, you, you actually know how to do these things. You've actually been alive longer than I have. Imagine that. And, and, and I just needed to see her in that element and in that moment and switch and, re, and, and flip my opinion of who my mom, my mom was and actually started going to her for, for help. And there are things, she, she did a lot with communication within State Farm, and, and I, I use things that she taught me as far as communications, communicating skills, I, I still use. Uh, love my mom. The story that we're gonna read about Jesus is gonna be very similar. That there's gonna be people who are gonna be introduced that they know Jesus, they're familiar with him, and their familiarity with Jesus breeds contempt. They know him. They saw him grow up. This can't, this is Joseph. This is Joseph's son. This, this is not, he's not the Messiah. And so we have a choice. We have a response. We can say, yeah, I'm familiar with these stories. We can let that happen. Or, or we can see Jesus for who he is and change our attitude from contempt to admiration and love. Before I get into our text, though, again, if you look at Augustine, when he, when he talks about what's the, what's the greatest way, how do we read our Bible, how do we study our Bible, he says the top three points when studying our Bible are context, context, context. Got to get into the context. So our passage is actually going to be Luke chapter 14, 24 through 30, which I'll have up on the screen, but feel free to follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV. But I want to get a little, bit, a little bit back on that and start in verse 14. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 14, says this. And Jesus returned to Galilee, that's the region, this region of this map, imagine Minnesota, right? This area, but it's, it's a region of the, of the country, Galilee and the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. 
And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Okay, so everyone in the surrounding area was praising Jesus, like seeing, wow, I think he is the Messiah. He's gaining his following. And then he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, or he goes to his hometown, his city within that region. And it only would have been about 1,600, 2,000 people, um, which in a city this size, it's hard to imagine what this would be like. Uh, if you grew up in a small town, I know some of you did, you might understand, especially when, you're, when you grow up, you know everyone who works in the shop corners and the hardware stores and the farmers, and, and you get to know that. I went to a smaller school, probably about that same size. And, and when you're even only there for four years, right, you get to know the upperclassmen and you don't really know the freshmen when you're an upperclassman because they're freshmen, they're, who cares? And then, and then you, but you get to know all the staff and the teachers and, you, and so we kind of can get a glimpse of small town life when you're at a small campus, right? And, and, and that's what it would have been, except it wasn't just, he wasn't just there for four years or five, for my case. He, he wasn't just there for a short amount of time. He was there for 30 years. He grew up in this small little town. Everyone knew Jesus and Joseph and Mary. They knew Mary, this crazy woman who said she conceived the son by God. Everyone knew those stories. No one didn't know that story. So that's what's happening. Again, just maps, for me, they're helpful. Uh, Galilee is just gonna be that northern portion there in, in Israel. If that's helpful, great. If not, uh, sorry. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went up to the synagogue as was his custom. It would have been on a Saturday, and he goes to the synagogue, goes to, to where they would worship Yahweh. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found a place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a messianic prophetic text from Isaiah talking about the future Messiah. And Jesus now is reading it about this, this proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, they're in occupied uh, under Roman occupation. And he reads this. And then what is it? What happens here? He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Uh, this is a, an image overhead of, of what a typical synagogue would look like. They're all different, just like modern day churches are all set up differently, but in principle, they're pretty much all the same, right? And the, the top there, you kind of have maybe what would be a stage, and that's where they would read the scrolls from. There was a big wall there that had all these scrolls, and, and so Jesus, it was his turn to read, whatever. Or, so someone pulls out, a scribe pulls out a, a scroll of Isaiah, hands it to him. Jesus then opens the scroll, turns and finds this passage in Isaiah, this messianic thing. And he reads it. And then it says he goes and he sits down, right? And I think in our, our culture, our context, we would say, if someone came up here, did announcements, read a, read a text, and then they would go sit back down in their pew. That's not what's happening, okay? In the middle of the room, they would teach sitting down, it was called the Bema seat. It was, this, it was lifted up, it was on a platform, and then the, 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 the teachers, the Pharisees, the, the rabbis, they would sit down and they would then teach based on the text that was just read, okay? So that's what's happening. So when it says Jesus went and sat down, he's doing a very deliberate act to say, I'm going to say something now about that text. So it says all eyes were on, okay? 
So he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant up on the top, and then he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, right? If he just went and sat back down in the seats where he came from, no one would care. He's sitting down to teach. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, okay? He's, he just reads this. This is the year of the Lord's favor. I, I, I came, I'm reading this messianic psalm or this messianic uh, prophetic text from Isaiah. And now he's saying this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed. The gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked, right? There's, what is happening? What, what, what are you saying? I'm very confused here, teacher, rabbi, Jesus. We know you. I remember when you missed the game-winning shot when you were in junior high, right? You, this doesn't, we know you. You're not the Messiah. And Jesus says to them, Oh, chapter four, Luke chapter four. Sorry, thank you, thank you. This is Luke chapter four, not 14. You're all like, I don't, where are you? Thank you. See, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an expert. Luke chapter four, 14 through 30. Now, verse 23 says this. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that we have heard you did in Capernaum. Okay, now, now we get to our text. The story, there's not just another story. Uh, this is the story of the widow and the commander. Widow and the commander in Luke chapter 14, 24 through 30. And again, I know it's kind of a longer setup for this text, but let me, let me jump in. I, I started, and I initially I had, I had this, titled the sermon, Amen, comma, and I tell you. Amen, and I tell you. And, and this was why. I was reading one, one commentary. Uh, this guy, Luke Johnson, he says this. Amen, I tell you, or what we'll see in our text, truly I tell you, or verily I tell you. It's the same, same word, amen, I tell you. The locution or this style of speech is peculiar to Jesus. The term amen would ordinarily respond to the speech of another. All right, this is why when we, right, and, and come at the end. This is why when we pray, usually you end with an amen. Amen just means so be it. Yes, may it be, right? That's what, it, that's what amen means, which is if you go to some other churches, we don't, we don't talk out loud when we're, except unless the pastor makes a mistake. Chapter four, it's chapter four, then we talk back. Uh, but we don't do a lot of the amen stuff, right? We just don't, it's just not part of our culture, which is fine, right? Uh, I have a, a good friend of mine, Tyler, uh, up in, in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, he's, he's black and he, uh, he's African-American. And he was like, hey, uh, I, uh, I have a hard time preaching at white churches uh, because I don't get the feedback. And, and then he was like, and then someone said, oh, no, no, they were, they were taking notes. And he's like, oh, so when their head's down, this is like a white people amen. And it's like, yeah, there you go. Now you're getting it, Tyler. <laughs> now you're getting it, right? Uh, okay, that normally comes at the end. Jesus, though, starts with it. Okay, which is, which is really important. The gospel showed Jesus validating his own speech before him. I assure you, right, this phrase, so be it what I'm about to say, would be more idiosyncratic, but since the Greek carries over to the Hebrew and recognition of Jesus' distinctive speech, so can the English. So there's something about this. He's, he's basically doing what the Old Testament prophets would do and say, thus saith the Lord. 
But he's saying, so be what I'm about to tell you. Because he doesn't have to say, so thus say the Lord. I, I am the Lord. I, I am. Let me tell you what's about to happen. Truly, I tell you. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. This is true of me, and this was true in the Old Testament. Verse 25, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. So what's he saying? He's, he's opened up the Bible, or he's not. He's just telling a story that they would have been extremely familiar with. Extremely familiar with. And so uh, we've talked about this. Anytime a New Testament author, Jesus, or they quote a text or they um, uh, just, just mention it, let, let's, go, let's go do it. There's a, 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 one of the Sesame Street things. This is Elmo's World. Um, they have this phrase. This happens every, every does anyone, any Elmo's World uh, people? No? Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, a few of you. Um, and so what happens with, <laughs> oh, you, yeah, okay. Yeah. There's, this, there's this thing that Elmo does where, where they ask a question and nobody knows the answer to it. And they go, and what do we do, kids, when we don't know the answer? And then everyone says, we look it up, okay? And, and, then, and then Elmo goes, oh, smarty, <laughs> right? He goes, he goes, oh, yeah, okay. And they pull out smarty. Smarty is the, the smartphone, right? And so he opens up the phone and he looks it up, okay? So what do we do, kids, when we don't know the, what is that? I don't know what, here's Ben's freaking out. Uh, it's Elmo. You've never heard Elmo before? That's what he sounds like. Uh, he, he, they look it up. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Let's look it up. First Kings 17, 7 through 16. Someone fact checked me on the, on the uh, reference there. First Kings 17, 7 through 16. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zephyrath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zephyrath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? This is Elijah, by the way. Uh, Old Testament, very powerful prophet. As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. She replies, and as surely as the Lord your God lives, and I don't know why it didn't copy in, but, but normally in a, in a text, and I know I've shared this before, when you see Lord in all caps, and for some reason it didn't translate when I copied it, that it's, the, it's, the, it's the covenant name of Yahweh in the Old Testament. So it says, surely as the Lord, and that should be in all caps, I don't know why it didn't. She's using the covenant name for Yahweh, and that's not her God. That wouldn't have been the God of her region, of her area. But she says to him, as surely as Yahweh, your God, lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She's in a dire situation. There's an intense famine happening. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first... Make me a small loaf of bread for me and what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug will not run dry for the day of the Lord send, until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away, right? She had, she had enough faith in Yahweh to, to, to fulfill his 
promises to her that she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Okay, so back, back to Jesus. He says, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, right? He just gets done saying, there, there are, there, surely there were widows in Israel. Surely there were widows in Israel, but yet God then sends them, right? Sends him all the way up to this northern province in Phoenicia to Zephira to find a widow. Just as making his point. Familiarity breeds content. And, and even in that time, this powerful, this powerful prophet of Elijah, it, nobody had the faith in God then. But this random woman who doesn't even worship Yahweh has enough faith to believe in the promises of God. And he's building his case that these prophets aren't accepted in their own town. And he's telling them, you're too familiar with me to see that you need my help, let alone recognize your need, that you are in need of help, that you need help. He keeps going. Luke chapter four, starting here then in verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of, the, of Elisha the prophet. So just his kind of predecessor, uh, what is that called? His, the next person that comes after Elijah, Elisha comes and the prophet, again, another very powerful prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, right? So class, what do we do when we don't know the answer? We look it up. There it is. Okay, 2 Kings chapter five. Elisha sent a messenger to him. This is Naaman. He is the commander of the Syrian armies. He's a powerful man, but he has leprosy. So Jesus is making his point again. Surely there are people in Israel, leprosy. What happens? God goes to Syria, goes to a rival nation. Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman, the commander, go wash yourself seven times in Jordan, your flesh will be restored and be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come up to me and stand out and call on the name of, and he uses that word again, Yahweh, of, of Yahweh his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfer, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water, waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned, away, he turned away and went off in rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Right? If you would have said, climb the tallest mountain in the region, would you have done it? If you would have conquered this nation, you would have done it. How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that, of a young boy. Again, first off, there is a market out there for Elijah and Elisha maps. They're not, they're not the greatest. So I don't know, you can monetize that, but we can do better, right? Naaman lives way up north again in Syria. You've got Elisha down in Israel. It's all, it's all I want to point out. Because what happens next? It says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Hey, let me tell you, Surely there were widows in Israel. God sends them up north. Surely there were people with leprosy in Israel. God sends healing up north to Gentiles, to other nations, other ethnicities, other races that aren't Hebrew, that aren't Jewish. Why are they furious? Why are they furious with Jesus at this point? 
Again, as it said in the beginning of the text, they've heard of him. The, the news of him has spread. He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. He's been doing all these wild things. He's been preaching with authority, and he comes to his hometown, and he says, I am the guy. This is being fulfilled now, and let me prove it to you that it's being fulfilled because I've been doing all this stuff all around you to other people other than you. Let me use your sacred text in the Old Testament of the widow and the commander to prove I am who I say I am because God and I have been doing this for a long time. That I came to this world to, to heal those who need a physician, not those who aren't even sick. You don't even realize how sick you are. And they're furious with him. So continuing here, and they got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill, which was on the, which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It was interesting reading the commentaries um, this week, how I think every single one that I read was like, this was nothing more than a miracle. And it could have been. Jesus could have done something miraculous here to say, hey, you're about to throw me off the cliff and, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna get my way out of here. Um, I know some of you have been watching The, the Chosen, the, the TV show, whatever it may be. There's, they do this. This scene is, is in there. It's a, it's a phenomenal way that they, they, they do this. And Jesus gets up there and they walk him to the cliff. But again, he grew up with the guys that have their arms on him about to throw him off the cliff, right? And he's like, Benjamin, you're not gonna do this, <laughs> right? You're not, you're not gonna toss me off. And the guy just, yep. You know what I mean? Because he, he knows him and he, and he, just, he, he just walks through, right? And I think, it's a, I think it's a very powerful way. Either way, whether it was a miracle or whether it was him just saying, hey guys, what, do, what, do you, what are we doing here? And they don't throw him off, even though it was called for. Someone claims to be a prophet and they are a false prophet, you kill them. And Jesus is claiming to be not just a prophet, but the Messiah, the true prophet. And they don't kill him. I think it says something about who Jesus is and his character. As we do a lot of times in the text, I want you to read this like you aren't the good individual in the story. Don't think that if you were in that synagogue on that day, and if you knew Jesus, if you grew up with him, that you wouldn't be the one going, hey everyone, he's telling the truth. I have always said Jesus was the Messiah. Right, we can't, we can't read it that way. Right? We, we know the rest of the story. We're able to go back and then go, yeah, clearly Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, they, weren't, they didn't have all the information. So let's read it like we're not the good individual. Let me ask this question. I don't mean to put a, a guilt, I think it's a godly guilt that leads to repentance that we read about, but I don't mean like guilt and shame. And I, I don't, but I, so I wanna ask two questions here just on this point. Would we listen to Jesus if he were here? Right, would we? If Jesus showed up, right? I, even, I actually worked way too hard on this image. That you have Jesus, if he was standing in this pulpit, and he were teaching, he were preaching his words. We can open the Bible and we can read what Jesus teaches and preaches. We can do that. And we don't listen to that. What makes us think we would listen to Jesus if he were right here teaching? If he said the same thing he said 2,000 years ago on hell, on holiness, on marriage, or the exclusivity of I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ah, man, I don't know if we can... Say that, Jesus. Would we listen? Would we repent? The second question is, 
does your familiarity with Jesus lead to contempt or more affection and appreciation? Again, if you're visiting, uh, thanks for being here. That's great. I don't know you, uh, but I feel like I know my congregation pretty well. And you are a very literate, very biblically literate congregation. And I think what happens, because I, 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 I fall uh, prey to this as well, that when I open my Bible, more often than not, it turns into a textbook. It turns into what, what, how deep can I get in this? Let me get into the, the original language. And let, me, let me explore this. And I become so familiar with it that it leads to contempt or at least apathy. I already know this story. I already know this. I've read it. I've read it. There was actually a TikTok that always made me laugh. It was actually a couple watching uh, The Chosen. And, and the husband pans the camera to his wife and she's like, biting her nails in a, like anxiety. And then he just turns it back to himself and he goes, she's watching this like she doesn't know how it's gonna end. You know? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> we know how it ends. We've seen it, we've watched it, we, we've read it, we know. And do we become too familiar to the point where it goes, ah, it's just Jesus, it's just Joseph's son. It's, yeah, he died, yeah, cool. He rose again, cool. Yeah, yeah, we, we take the wafer in the blood every week. No, I, I know. Or do we, do we get a glimpse of him like darling silver and go, if none of this would be possible if it wasn't for Jesus. None of this would be possible. And make us go, holy cow. This, this is, I, I need to be renewed in my vigor and my affection and my appreciation for who Jesus is. Because if I was in that room 2,000 years ago, I would have acted the same way. And I need only the grace of God to help me to open my heart to see Jesus for who he really is as the Messiah, the Son of God, seated on the throne of God. So in gospel application, Jesus died for everyone. I think if we had to like narrow this, what's the point of this text? This is it. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to everyone. Okay, we just went through three, 20 weeks of, of Romans going, duh. Of course Jesus died for him. We just, went, we just spent 20 weeks talking about Jews and Gentiles and how Jesus is here for everybody. But here we look at a text of Jesus and it's not just another story. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sins on a daily basis he covers for them. So, we're gonna enter into a time of communion like we do every single week. And again, I hope familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Maybe, maybe we do this too often and maybe it's just become a, just a rote thing. We just, yep, we take communion because we take communion. That's what we do at Lower Town. I, maybe, maybe don't take it. I, if that's our attitude, if we're just like too familiar with this, then just, it's okay. But if we can look at these elements and go, I know it doesn't take my sins away, but man, I want to remember the finished work of Christ on the cross. I want to see him and I want to taste and see that he is good. I want to do this with my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Then I would love for you to partake of this meal. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you are a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to break that wafer that represents the broken body of Christ for our sins. The, bread, the juice that is poured out, his, that represents his blood I was poured out to absorb the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sinfulness. He died for everyone. 
I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come back up. They're going to play two more songs and, and feel free to come up and grab the elements as, as you see fit and pray and rejoice and praise Jesus that he is who he says he is. That 2,000 years ago, that, that prophetic passage was fulfilled in Jesus. And we get to remember that together. Let's pray and then we will worship together through communion and song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. I thank you that this is not just another story. This isn't just Jesus getting up and teaching and telling, something, telling us something cool about himself, but realizing that he is God. He has always been God. In the beginning was the word of Jesus, was Jesus. And he was with God and he was God. So God, I pray as we take these elements that we would taste and see that you were good that we would remember you, the God of the universe who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light, who rose us from the dead, who quickened us, who made us alive through the finished work of your son. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.